We have been going through the Gospel of John verse by verse, and today we're in chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. Uh, last week we learned that <coughs> Jesus uh, received an urgent message from his friend uh, <coughs> Lazarus, his sisters, that uh, he wasn't doing too well, and uh, coming, uh, he's sick. And Jesus delays two days, and, and uh, he tells his disciples, well, we're going to just hang out because um, <clears throat> Lazarus is sleeping. And they think, oh, well, that's great. That was, he's recovering. And he says plainly, sometimes Jesus has to tell us things, you know, point blank, plainly. Um, actually, guys, what I mean is Lazarus is dead. Oh, my goodness. Now, that changes a lot of the situation. So we're at... Verse 17, now Jesus waited. When he came, he found Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Four days already Lazarus has been there. So <clears throat> how did it be? How did it come to pass? Jesus was up beyond the Jordan, it says, where John was baptizing. So it took the messenger about a day to get up there and tell Jesus the message then Jesus waits for two days, that's day three, and then Jesus travels there, that day four. And he gets there, and he's all, Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. Matthew Henry's uh, commentary, he says, the last time that Jesus met with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, they were having a feast. And uh, Matthew Henry says, you never know how you will find your friends the next time you meet them. Amen. Now, Bethany is close to uh, Jerusalem, only about two miles away. But where Jesus was, was about 20 miles away. Uh, he couldn't hop in a taxi. He, there was no Uber. He couldn't just, oh, go there right away, you know. He waited, probably walked. The interesting thing about... Uh, the um, rabbis taught, according to Dake's commentary in the Jewish annotated New Testament, the rabbis taught that the dead person's spirit would hover around for three days seeking an opportunity to get back in the body, which is kind of a strange thing. Good thing that Lazarus was dead for four days because his spirit must have gone on wherever it goes. <laughs> I think... That's a strange thing. They called it the days of weeping. If you noticed or if you know anything about um, the uh, patriarchs, uh, Aaron and Moses, when they died, everyone mourned for them for 30 days. When Jacob died in Israel, Joseph had the physicians embalm his body. That took 40 days. And then they mourned for, for Jacob Another 30 days. So Jacob was honored with 70 days of mourning in Egypt. And then they take his body to go bury it in the, in the field that uh, his uh, grandfather uh, Abraham had purchased. And uh, they, they fast and they mourn another seven days. So he was given great honor. So the messenger was sent. The message received waits two days, he travels to Bethany, so Lazarus probably died 
This is six days altogether. Lazarus probably died on day two. In chapter 50 of Genesis, verses 7 through 9, there was a very great gathering. For seven days, they mourned and buried Jacob. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 11 through 13, King Saul has been killed in battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines nail his body to the wall. What a disgrace. Here was a man who was supposed to lead Israel. And the men of Jabez Gilead, it says, they heard about this, and they went at night and they took the body because Saul had come to their rescue early in his kinghood. In his, in his kingship and rescued them. And they buried King Saul and they fast for seven days. So here's Jesus. He's come to the funeral. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. And many of the Jews who didn't like Jesus, by the way, had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So this, how many ever hear that people say, I don't like to go to funerals. Anybody ever hear somebody say that? I don't like to go to funerals. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. It's better to go to the house of mourning. We go to comfort people. I don't like to go to funerals. Yeah, they're sad, but those people who have lost a loved one, they need us. They need you and I to come and comfort them. And so this is what the Jews had done. They've come to console or comfort Martha and Mary concerning their brother. Some of these people are professional mourners. I was in the Fiji Islands about 30 some odd years ago, and we went to a funeral. And the Fiji Islands is only about 800,000 people in the whole the whole um, nation there, so a lot of people know each other. And this funeral took a long time. And I distinctly remember what happened was the young man went to the doctor, to the hospital, because he wasn't feeling well, and he suffered sudden cardiac arrest. And he wasn't very old. He was a pretty young man, and his family was devastated. I had a, a cousin last week. I got a text message. She got off work at the Home Depot back in New York somewhere on Long Island, got off the bus and got hit by a car and died just like that. You never know when you're going to pass into eternity. Might as well be prepared. Amen? Got a text a week before that from my uh, wife's niece in uh, Bakersfield that uh, her husband is working in Kentucky or Tennessee somewhere, he got a call from his mom's employer. Hey, we haven't seen your mom in a day or two. Uh, um, what, what's going on? I don't know. Turns out that her ex-boyfriend uh, decided to uh, do a murder-suicide with her. So, I mean, things like this are worth mourning. They're, they're devastating to families. They, they hurt. And so Martha and Mary, they're hurting. And these people come out to console them concerning their brother. Hopefully they had a lot of nice things to say about him. Praise God. Amen. 
In Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 and verse 19, it says that if you touch a dead body, you'll be clean, unclean for seven days. So that's the minimum that they should mourn. Praise God. But they came to comfort them. And it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. She's probably not feeling so great. If you're familiar with uh, Psalm 137, verse 1, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When something like this happens to people, it, it I don't know how to describe it, it drains something out of you. And you pretty much remain seated. This is actually kind of typical. Remember when Martha and Mary, Jesus first came to the house and Jesus is teaching and Martha's busy around the house doing stuff, serving. But Mary sit at the feet of Jesus. So that's kind of her personality. Martha hears that Jesus is coming. She gets up and she goes to meet him. But Mary remains seated. And it's kind of, you know, now it's backwards. Before, Mary was the one who was, you know, focused on Jesus. And Martha was busy with other stuff. Now, Martha's the one that's focused on Jesus. Mary's busy. Maybe she's feeling sorry for herself. I'm sure she's sad. I'm sure she's crying. This is not an easy thing. Amen? This is the Mary who anoints Jesus with the alabaster jar of expensive ointment. I mentioned uh, before when uh, the uh, um, when they uncovered King, Cut's, King Tut's tomb in Egypt, it had already been broken into years before, and the only thing that was missing was the ointment from the alabaster jars in King Tut's tomb. That's how valuable that stuff was. They left the gold. They left all the, all the treasures there. And the only thing that was stolen was that ointment. And this is the woman who put it on Jesus. And it, it pff, filled the whole house. Martha responds. Interestingly, since Martha goes out to meet Jesus, she gets comforted sooner. Hallelujah. And can you picture, she's in the house. She hears Jesus coming. She gets up to go meet him. And she's probably having a conversation in her mind. Anybody ever have a conversation in your mind with somebody who's not there? If they're going to say this, I'm going to say this. And if they say that, I'm going to say this. And she's probably thinking, what am I going to tell Jesus? And she gets there. And there's Jesus. And what does she say? I pressed the wrong button. That's not what she said. I did. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was confident. She remembers uh, hearing and probably saw Jesus doing some miracles of healing. But nobody had been risen from the dead yet. And she complains, basically, why did you wait? Why did you come sooner? Can you feel that? She must have thought that, why didn't you come sooner, Jesus? He wouldn't have died. But she corrects herself. But there's lots of buts in the Bible. And they're all in the right place. Remember, I'm going to do a study. There's, uh, 
<laughs> There's so many times where it says, well, this the situation was going like this, but God intervened. Thank God. Can you say amen? Thank God for but God. She corrects herself. Matthew Henry writes, Jesus' absence makes His return sweeter. She's come. He's here. All right. Praise God. But what does she say? If you had been here, maybe she's thinking, you know, why don't you, you could have just, what, just stay away. Don't even come. Can you, can you think that she might have thought that in her mind? You know, if, he wouldn't have, if you were to come, he wouldn't have died. Might as well not just come. But what happens? She corrects herself. Because sometimes when God delays answering our prayers, it's to test and strengthen our faith. Can you say amen? But she says, now, but even now, now that you're here, she says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And she doesn't even consider that Jesus himself could say something. And she doesn't, he doesn't have to ask God. He can just say it and command it himself. Martha believed in Jesus' power and in His compassion. Whatever you ask. Anybody ever try praying and you don't know what to ask for? And you don't know what to say? What? God, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to go forward? What am I supposed to do, God? Wait on God. He'll give you an answer eventually. Amen? Whatever you ask. I don't know about you, but personally, there's times that I know I'm praying and I, I don't know what else to say, so I'll just pray in tongues because God knows what I'm saying. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I ran out of human words. <laughs> Thank God that God has given us a heavenly prayer language. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Jesus holds the position of priesthood permanently because he continues he lives forever as a result he is able to save to the uttermost he's able to and that word uttermost could be completely or he's able to save at all times those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for us jesus prays for us he's alive forevermore and he's praying for us. Amen. Glory to God. James chapter 4 verses 8 through 10. Read the rest of it yourself. Uh, just the one verse I want to look at and bring out is that it says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Hallelujah. What a wonderful promise. We can be as close to God as we want because He promises He'll draw near to us if we'll draw near to Him. Praise God. Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, the interesting thing, this is what I don't like about texting, is that you can't hear the inflection in the person's voice. So I know a friend of mine, he likes to joke around a lot, and he'll send funny what doesn't look very funny on, on text, but if you knew him and you knew the inflection in his voice, you could tell he was joking. 
So you don't know the inflection in Jesus' voice. He doesn't know if he's saying, your brother will rise again. Meaning that's only the person, the only one that's going to rise again. Or he will rise again. When? Doesn't say. You don't know the inflection of his voice. But Martha says, and this blows my mind. Excuse me for the expression. This amazes me. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. How did she know that? How did she know that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. How does she know? In John chapter 6, verses 39, verse 40, verse 44, and verse 54. Four times. Maybe she was in the crowd listening. Jesus had just fed 5,000 and they're going to come and make him king. He says, no, no, no. And he sends the disciples away to uh, Capernaum and he sends the crowd home and he walks on the water and they get to Capernaum and he begins to preach. And he says, and this is his discourse on the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And four times in John's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus is quoted saying, I will raise them up on the last day. Now when Jesus, or when God and the Holy Spirit repeat something twice in the Scripture, it's pretty important. When he repeats something three times, it's really important. And when he repeats something four times, I'd say we better pay attention. Amen? Hallelujah. Everyone, who's going to get raised up? And how do they know? The Old Testament in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 1, it says exactly that these words, everyone who is found written in the book. Notice, according to Dake's commentary, Martha did not ask Jesus for such a favor to raise Lazarus up right then and there in direct terms. She only expressed faith in his ability to do so. She's thinking way in the future. Jesus is thinking right today. Praise God. But it's like the last day. What about today? What about today, Martha? He's dead now. What about your sorrow in the morning? Wouldn't you like to have that erased? Amen? Praise God. Everyone who's found written in the book will be raised in the last day, some this way, some that way. So Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So let's break this down. First, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This always amazes me. What do you mean you're the resurrection? How can you be? What? I don't get it. But we know that later on after here, Jesus comes back to life. The only person who was able to lay down his life and take it back up again in all of human history. If you've ever met uh, Dean Braxton, he was dead, what was it, 45 minutes or an hour and 30 minutes? 
hour and 45 minutes, and he came back to life. His wife contended and prayed. He came back to life. He's been here to our church. I like what he says. You know, when people say, you know, I don't believe all that, he says, well, you'll see. <laughs> Good luck. I mean, you know, it's like the, the guy said, I tried to get a guy saved, and he says, well, I'll just... Uh, you know, I'll try and get my good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds. <laughs> good luck with that. You don't have to do a whole lot more good deeds, brother. And uh, it won't work anyway. Praise God. Jesus makes this claim. Remember in chapter 6, he said he was the bread of life. In John chapter 1, in the prologue, in verse... Verse 4, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Hallelujah. Jesus' claim, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So this, to me, as I looked and I studied, whoever believes in me, though he die, when we're born again, we're supposed to die to our old self. Amen? Amen. And then... Who's supposed to live a new life. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What does he mean you'll never die? But that, that's like over 2,000 years ago, and a lot of people have died since then, even people that believed in Jesus. So what does he mean? Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Whoever, Jesus, what's the gift of God? Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well, what he said to Nicodemus? The gift of God is eternal life. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. I was uh, watching a, a video recently, and uh, a pastor was preaching. He's as a short clip out of a video, uh, an entire sermon, and he says his mom, uh, she passed away, I think she was in her 50s, and uh, on her deathbed, he said she was happy. And the reason she was happy, he said, is she made this statement. She says, I've looked forward to this day my whole life. Amen? I'm looking forward. I don't know about you, but this troublesome world, I'm ready to go. Amen? I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> There's a lot of problems going on in the world today, and, and we need God but that's why God has us here, so we can be his representatives and ambassadors to the troubled world. Amen? Amen. Praise God. You'll have eternal life. That's why you'll never die. She confessed, yes, Lord, I believe. Faith speaks what God speaks. Like Pastor Wayne said, if you don't know how to pray... Pray the Scriptures. Open up the book of Psalms and pray them out loud. I mentioned the other, a couple of weeks ago that there's a guy on Facebook. I want to hear from God. So a guy hands him his Bible. Here. No, no, I want to hear from God out loud. So read it out loud. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> she believes three things. She believes that Jesus is the Messiah the anointed one, the Christ. She believes that Jesus is the Son of God and she believes that He has come into the world. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, the virgin shall conceive. In chapter 9, verse 6, it says, a son is given. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about the suffering servant taking our sins upon himself. And I read recently, a pastor was preaching and he's saying, I don't remember his name, he said, someone mentioned to me that in the Old Testament, if you had sin, you had to come and bring the animal and lay your hands on the head of that animal and transfer your sin to that animal and the high priest would cut its throat and kill it. And he said, that's what Jesus did for us. And I pictured in my mind, if you were there on the day that Jesus died, put a ladder up to the cross, climb up the ladder, and look at Jesus and put your hands on his head and said, Jesus, take my sins. And he will, and he did. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful Savior we have that He would do that for all of us, any man, woman, and child that has ever lived excuse me, and will ever live as an opportunity to lay your hands on the head of Jesus and say, take my sins, and he gladly will. Hallelujah. Praise God. A son is given. In Daniel chapter 7, it talks about the vision that he had of the Ancient of Days, and one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days in the old court. That's why the Jews crucified Jesus because he called himself the Son of God or the Son of Man. They knew exactly what he meant and it upset them. Pretty sad, that, but it was part of God's plan. Amen? <clears throat> Let's go on. In chapter, in verse 28, when after she tells Jesus that she went and called her sister Mary, Maybe she whispered in her ear. Maybe she said, hey, come here. Come in the other room. Jesus is here. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. <clears throat> it doesn't say that in the scriptures there that Jesus told her. Amen. But you remember, John wrote, he said, everything that Jesus did was not written. But these things are written so that you may believe and believing you may have eternal life. When she heard it, she got up right away. Said, Man, okay. Rose quickly and went to him. It's good to respond to Jesus. Can you say amen? Martha tried to get Mary to leave Jesus earlier. She's still grieving. But now she gets up and Martha draws Mary to Jesus. She didn't, didn't matter where he was. She just wanted to go be with Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm so completely unaware of God's presence. Amen? But He still, He calls. Hallelujah. Thank God that He calls. Amen. Interestingly, in the next verse, <clears throat> Martha and Mary, none of the, both of them, they didn't say, hey everybody, come on. Come with us. Jesus is here. They, they didn't invite the other people. That just amazes me. wonder why they didn't invite the other people. She called. She said in private, the teacher is here. Maybe she knew a lot of the Jews didn't like Jesus. They had just recently tried to kill him. They have a stockpile of stones there apparently at the temple and they were going to stone him. Maybe that's why she didn't tell all the other people there that Jesus was there. 
Hallelujah. But so amazing. When Jesus had not yet come into the village, he's still out there. And by the way, these folks must have been a prominent family in that village to have Jesus come and have a banquet and then to have all these Jews come and comfort them. They probably were a fairly well-to-do, prominent family. So all these Jewish people are there. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Supposing. They, no one told them, they just supposed. Supposing. They were consoling her. That's a good thing. But this is just so awesome that the way Jesus does things, you know, he's God in the flesh, and these are the people that were trying to kill him earlier, and guess what they're going to see? They're going to see a miracle. They're going to see. They, they're already seen a bunch of other miracles. They got mad at him for healing a, a lame man on <clears throat> the Sabbath. They got mad at him for healing the blind man, born blind. That just, <laughs> they excommunicate. They kicked the guy who was born blind out of the church. You can't come here anymore. You got healed by Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. Did that just twist your brain a little bit? You got healed by Jesus. Hey, it's the guy that was born blind. He used to be a beggar. Now he can make a living for himself. No, that's not him. It just looks like him. No, it's me. I'm really, I was blind. Now I can see. Well, how'd you get healed? Oh, Jesus spit on me and, and uh, told me to, made mud and told me to go wash and now I can see. Oh, we don't believe you. Calls his parents in. How did this, is this your son? Yeah, it's our son. They're scared. That's our son. Yes, yes, yes. We don't know how he got healed. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself because they're afraid that they might kick you kicked out of the church for having their, or the synagogue, for having their son get healed miraculously. That uh, people are too much sometimes. Can you say amen? So here's this crowd, and they come, and they follow her, thinking that she's going to go to the tomb to weep there. Weeping may endure for a, a night, but joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. Jesus waits. She rose quickly. And they follow her. Hallelujah. Now Mary came where Jesus was. Now this is a good thing. I was thinking about this. It's a good thing Jesus stayed there. Can you imagine Mary, Martha going out there, Jesus, I'm going to go get Mary. And telling him, wait here so we know where you are. Don't, don't go anywhere. Don't go to the tomb. Don't go into the village, you know, because uh, you might get lost in the streets there. Wait right there. Good idea. Wait right there. <clears throat> Outside the village. Better that way. You can't be hiding behind a wall. Oh, the Jews are coming. I better hide. No, he's out there in plain sight, full view, so everybody can see. I thought she was going to the tomb. She's going to Jesus. Hmm. Can you imagine the eyes? Hmm. I wonder what she... Hmm. 
mumbling and murmuring probably in the crowd. We thought she was going to go to the tomb and cry over there so we can cry some more. These professional mourners, you know, making all this noise. They follow. And Mary went quickly. She got the hint. The crowd was coming so that they could be eyewitnesses. She sat at, sat at Jesus' feet earlier in a day of peace. But now, in a day of trouble, she falls at his feet. Thank God, anytime, anywhere, any place, in any situation, we can approach the throne of God. We have access to the throne of God through Jesus. Amen? Sometimes it's a still, small voice. Praise God. Matthew Henry said, The least intimation of Christ's gracious approach is enough to inspire a living faith with which, which stands ready to take the hint and answer at the first call of Jesus. I remember before I got saved, <clears throat> I studied to be a priest, and I remember reading the Bible for myself. I started reading it myself. And I remember reading... John chapter 8, verse 38. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then I read more and more, and I read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made, resulting in salvation. Can't remember all the rest exactly. And by believing, we're made right with God. I thought, oh, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Heard that all my life. And I'm thinking, hmm, I must be saved. Because somebody asked me, are you saved? I met some people in Flagstaff, and they said, are you saved? And I got saved when everybody else got saved back on uh, the cross at Calvary. I had no idea. And then after I did get saved, what happened is I, <laughs> I read... Um, uh, is it Galatians or Ephesians, the works of the flesh? And I had to look it up in the dictionary. Oh, my God, I'm doing almost all of these. I guess I'm not saved. And I remember after I did get saved, I told somebody, you need to get saved. Oh, we're all going to be saved. And I thought, I don't think so. I don't think Adolf Hitler is going to be in heaven. Do you? So there, God was hinting and drawing me. And that's what God will do when he uses us. Well, you can say something to somebody. People you know, people you love, people you meet. We have these little cards here. On the back it says, you're invited. I went to Ace Hardware a couple of weeks ago and uh, had one of these and I paid for my stuff and, and I gave uh, one of these. I said to the cashier, you're invited. Oh, wow, cool. I got to the car. And uh, I looked at my receipt, and they undercharged me a dollar. So I went back in. I said, hey, I owe you some money. Really? Oh, don't worry about it. No, no, no. I, I, this is supposed to be this price, and you only charged me this much. Oh, okay. So they, and, and uh, she said, yeah, it's interesting that you would do that. And I said, well, I can't invite you to church and not tell you that. <laughs> that would be not right. So we have some of them in the back, by the way. Take them with you and hand them out. As God moves you, praise God, it'll be a hint to that person. 
The word of God is like a seed. If we'll be faithful to plant it, he'll be faithful to make it grow. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So she fell at Jesus' feet. And she says the same, obviously, (laughs) she says the same thing that Martha said. They probably had this conversation before Jesus got there. Man, why is he waiting? Oh, Lazarus died. Why didn't he come? If he would have come, he would have healed him. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I looked this up. It says he was indignant. Can you imagine Jesus getting mad? This guy's selling stuff in the temple. Got all these animals in here and he's making a knot of ropes. Or a whip of a rope. He got indignant. And she and he sees I'll use them. He sees the Jews weeping and Martha and Mary weeping, and he becomes indignant. Why would Jesus get angry at something like this? Something unusual stirred him, Dake says. His enemies were there for one thing. But behind the scenes, there was a spiritual enemy. Amen? Amen. No one had been risen from the dead in Jesus' ministry and John's gospel up to this time. He's very angry because he's going to be facing a conflict with the devil. And he sees, he sees the trouble, the hurt, and the sorrow that the enemy inflicts. In the Old Testament, there are several people that were risen from the dead. One man who was dead, and his friends were going to go bury him, and enemies came and they tossed his dead body onto the bones of Elisha the prophet. Boom, he comes back to life. Remember the Shunammite woman, Elijah, told her, you're going to have a son. And the boy dies, and Elijah goes back to the house and praise, and the boy comes back to life. Think of the joy that that would produce. Oh, my goodness. Think of the joy. I have never seen anybody come back to life. But I would love to. I would love to. Dr. Leon von Royen told us of a, a time he was in Africa, and uh, Man comes into this Bible conference, having a pastor's conference. He comes, he's wearing rags, basically. And he tells the guys, make sure he gets something to eat. And the guys tell him, that's a mighty man of God. And Dr. Leon said, what? This man has gone and he's prayed for at least five people and raised them from the dead. He says the Muslims ask him to come into their mosques to pray for dead people. (coughs) The joy, can you imagine the joy? Somebody's dead and the joy. Death is so weird, amen? We were not designed and we were not created to die and grow old and decrepit. That's not God's plan. God's plan was for us to enjoy life. God's plan was for us to live forever. Amen. Amen. Not to destroy us. Amen. I still can picture my older brother. He had a brain aneurysm. Boom, just like that, gone. And I wasn't able to go to the funeral, but they had a video. 
And as my brother's body lay, it's just so weird to see him dead, lifeless. It's not God's plan. No wonder Jesus became indignant. And then we'll finish up. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? Notice Jesus doesn't say, all right, where's the corpse? Where's the corpse? No, he says, where have you laid him? And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept also when he came into Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have killed the prophets and have been adamantly opposed to God. And he wept. This shows Jesus' human side. Jesus was fully God, fully man. This is, this is God in the flesh. God walking the earth as a human being. And he weeps, he cries. And what do they say? And the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. Yeah, Jesus loves everybody. And they make this remark. It's a testimony to the human tenderness of the Son of God. <clears throat> I like that expression in the Old Testament it talks about in the book of Psalms. His tender mercies. His loving kindnesses towards us. Oh, what a Savior we have. There's a story of, of a young man who uh, came to a, 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 a church meeting and on the way out he tell, comes up to the preacher and the young man, I think he was a teenager, he's weeping. He said, I never knew Jesus was so wonderful. I never, and he runs off and says, what, what a wonderful Savior we have. I like that expression that uh, Dr. Mike Petzer has. He says uh, that uh, all preaching should inspire faith in the unquestionable success of Jesus' sacrifice. The unquestionable success. As he said, there's not enough sin in the universe to nullify what Jesus did on the cross and raising again from the dead to pay the price and then to prove it by coming out of the grave and raising again and seated at the right hand or making intercession for us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus knows everything that we're going through and He's with us no matter what, in the good times and in the bad times. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Hallelujah. Matthew Henry says that Jesus wept as an expression of His feeling for the calamitous, the calamities of life, the state, status of human life, and the power of death. Glory to God. God is good. Amen. And then the critics. Huh. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? We wanted to see a miracle. <laughs> they're criticizing Jesus. And now they're saying, well, because he didn't come and he didn't do this, he can't do anything. That really was a fake what happened back then at the, the eyes of the blind guy opening. That, that 
That was false. That was just a, a trick. And they're, 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 they're mocking Jesus, basically. Little do they know that they're going to see one of the greatest miracles that ever took place. Jesus, I think it was Carmen, the musician, who had a, a song about Lazarus in the grave hanging out with Abraham and David and Isaac and Jacob. And, and hey, man, this is cool. We're going to go, we're going to see Jesus someday. And, and then he says, and he hears uh, Jesus call him Lazarus. And the, and the next week when Pastor Wayne preaches, Jesus calls him with a loud voice, come forth. And not like the Wizard of Oz saying, Tin man, come forth. No, this is God come in the flesh. This is Jesus doing a powerful miracle. And these people are criticizing Jesus, saying, ah, he can't do anything. I said, oh, really? Watch this. Lazarus! And he comes out. Praise God. He's acquainted with every single intimate detail of our lives. Jesus wept. But thank God <clears throat> that that's not the end of things. Death is not the end. Ha! As long as we live and breathe, we have hope in this life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. In, uh, I believe it's uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, I looked it up and I wrote it down, I thought. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So death is nothing to be afraid of. Billy Graham said, <laughs> if you hear someday that Billy Graham died, don't you believe it? <laughs> because he's not dead, but he's just gone to another place. That's the good news. Amen? Praise God. 